You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us tonight. My guest today is uh, professional writer Dina Harris. And Dina's published hundreds of articles in national and international trade and consumer magazines. She's also a multi-book author and wears a lot of different hats, but when it comes to writing, Dina definitely knows what she's talking about. So we'll be talking to Dina today uh, a little bit about uh, her writing and what she's got going on and also her uh, most recent book, Does This Collar Make My Butt Look Big? A Diet Book for Cats. So great title. i got to talk to her about that one as well. So it's going to be a great show. Everybody just uh, hang tight. We're going to come right back after these commercials. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Swipe It's a revolutionary new product that literally swipes away cat hair from virtually any surface. You know, most of us struggle with a roller or vacuum cleaner to clean up cat hair, but anyone who has tried either of these knows they just don't work very well. But Swipe It's patent pending glove has a magnetic-like quality that removes cat hair from almost everything. And best of all, Swipe It's is machine washable, so you can use it over and over again. To order, just visit SwipeIt's.com. That's S-W-I-P-E-T Yes, a simple solution for shedding. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and joining me now is writer and author extraordinaire Dina Harris. Dina, welcome to the show. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Now, I got to jump right in there and talk about the latest book. Does this collar make my butt look big? <laughs> uh, great yeah. title. I got to yeah, love it. Very, very highbrow literary work of mine. I'm quite <laughs> proud of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, uh, I can see you now you're being nominated for many, many awards with just the title alone. Exactly. Probably movie rights coming soon, but I don't want to rush things. So we'll, we'll just talk about the book for now. <laughs> exactly. We'll pick out who the uh, actors and actresses and stuff are going to be for the cats. That'd be great. So I had to ask you right there, how did the title come about? Is this an original title of yours or uh, was it something you came up with, woke you up in the middle of the night? How'd that come about? No, the title actually came about before the book came about. I had done my prior book with Random House, which was Who Moved My Mouse? Mm-hmm. A self-help book for cats who don't need any help. So I, I'd done that one and then my agent and I were trying to come up with an idea for the next great cat book, you know, to come out there. And we were doing kind of, you know, batting ideas around, you know, should we do a parody of like good housekeeping for cats or this and that? And I finally kind of just landed on um, diet books and diet because humans are so obsessed with diet and their weight and their figure. And it's kind of ridiculous how obsessed we are. And I thought it'd be funny to do that from a cat's point of view. So Actually, just to sell the book, I played around with a few titles and finally came up with, uh, you know, I, I thought of a wife standing there with her husband going, you know, does this dress make my butt look big? And, you know, we do it all the time. And I was like, what would a cat say? And a cat would be like, well, hey, does this collar make my butt look big? There you go. Yeah, the most dangerous question a husband or a partner could be asked. There's no winning answer to that one. You just... <laughs> do you uh, I'm going to disagree with that, Tim. Uh-oh. The answer is no. No, it no. doesn't. No, you look no. great, honey. You look... You look-, you look- yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Just make sure you're not. <laughs> There's the right answer to that. That's right. And make sure you, you give your wife your full attention when you say it too. You can't be watching the game or anything. So exactly. <laughs> 
So then tell us about the premise of the book, though, because we, we're talking about, you know, it's a really great title, obviously, and catches your, your ear and your eye when, when you hear it and see it. Uh, but is it a serious cat book? Is it a diet cat book? Or is it a, a parody of some sort? No, it's a complete parody. It basically is a parody of all the major health and diet books out there on the market for people. So we, we, I say we, spread the blame. I, you know, mock everything from, let's say, Weight Watchers to Jenny Craig to there's the whole paleo diet that's out there. You know, French women don't get fat, but their cats do is a chapter that's in there. So, you know, it, it's just a complete spoof on all the diets that are out there, written tongue-in-cheek as if it were serious for cats. So it's actually, most of my cat books are kind of written for people to get to laugh at themselves almost more than their cats half the time. So that was the whole goal with writing the book. There you go. And so being an aficionado of cats yourself, what mm-hmm. do cats care about? Do they care about their figures and their diets or do they just want their bowl full at all times? Yeah, I was like, cats care about getting fed. You, you know, at least my cats do. Kind of the, a side note, the embarrassing part of writing this book is that a lot of people actually think it is a serious diet book, you know, on how cats can lose weight. And I've had people email or call me and asking advice, you know, gosh, my cat's overweight. What can I do? And, you know, I just have to tell them, like, I have two of the fattest felines on the planet. You know, I am not the person you want to be coming to for advice for all of this. So, yeah, that's kind of embarrassing. I wish my cats would actually lose a little bit of weight and follow the advice on it. Because, you know, it is interesting, you mentioned that from a serious standpoint, uh, because, you know, working in uh, working with animals on a daily basis, writing about them and having animals of your own, et cetera, trying to get the right diets, trying to get the things that are healthy for them and try to keep mm-hmm. their weight in control is a serious, uh, serious situation. And uh, I find with my clients and people that I talk to, it you, you don't know what the answers are. It's hard to find a place to, to get the right answers not, uh, for cats in general. It is. And I don't want to mock that it's not a serious problem. You know, just more mocking the fact that people would come to me for the answers for that serious problem <laughs> because, you know, I'm, I'm not really the person to do it on or the person to answer those. I think your original question, you had asked something about, you know, what do cats actually care about in the book? And, you know, other than making sure their dish is full at all times. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of strategies in this book for cats to get around the diets that their humans are trying to put them on. You know, it's kind of one of the running jokes in it. But, you know, there's one, for example, there's one thing about the OCD. You know, there's there's different workouts for different cats. So for the OCD cat, you know, I give calorie counts for doing things like screen door chin-ups. You know, I have a cat that constantly climbs my screen door. You know, okay, that burns 300 calories an hour. Or um, feather wand lunges, you know, burns 50 calories a lunge. Or laps around the legs of anyone carrying heavy bags of groceries, burns 75 calories. So, you know, little jokes like that are sprinkled throughout. They're kind of fun. That's hilarious. It's hilarious. It, it just ironically, right before the show, I uh, actually went out and gave uh, the dinner to my cats. And uh, I've got one cat, Mama Kitty, who stays around the house most uh, you know, full time. They're ferals that we trapped, neutered, and released, and they chose to stay because mm-hmm. they get such great bowls of food. But in any case, she's my little Elvis cat because – or actually a big cat now. She's grown quite hefty. But she's my <laughs> Elvis cat that uh, whenever she gets her wet food, she has to eat the gravy first. That's her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she has to eat the gravy first, and then maybe she'll consume some of the food. But she'll go to each bowl, lick every bit of gravy off, and then perhaps my cats. Some. At least her cats eat the food. My cats just eat the gravy, and I'm just like, <laughs> you know, for how much money this this wet food costs? I'm like, are you kidding me? I feel like a mother scolding her kids. I'm like, 
you're going to eat that and you're not getting any more food until you eat that. And my cats are looking at me like, yeah, whatever, you'll, you'll cave. You know? <laughs> you'll give us more food tomorrow and do exactly as we wish and don't pretend otherwise. <laughs> exactly, because we'll put you under the, uh, the trance. You know, we'll look at you with those eyes and, yeah, it's all over with. Yeah, but it's kind of fun just even all the little things, nuances that our cats do, though, that I thought my cats were the only ones that did this, and I found out actually a lot of people seem to do it. But do your cats ever, like, scrape their food out of the bowl, kibble by kibble, and put it on the floor and then eat it? Yeah, they prefer to eat it off the floor. They don't like large One- mounds of food. They like it uh, a nice medium-sized bowl, not overflowing because they don't want to, you know, if they're going to take some out, they want to do it. They don't want it spilled over. And, and yeah, with the vet, yeah, one by one. And, they, you know, they just make a mess everywhere. And it's mm-hmm. just, I don't know. Yep, yep, that's the way it is. In our and the, the other thing that cracked me up, I, I noticed this last night again, was with the wet food, they will eat the gravy first, of course, and then they'll eat around it in a circular fashion and consume it in, in that fashion, not just straight down in the middle. And if for some reason the wet food moves to one side of the bowl or the other, they quit eating it because they can no longer do a circle. It's blocked by part of the bowl. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know, one of the things in the book that's that's kind of fun is there's a quiz in there that people can take to determine what personality types their cats are. And so then you figure out based on the personality type, you know, you go to the specific diet and exercise chapters for your cat, you know, that are the best. But um, a lot of the questions came from just watching them and doing, you know, just typical things that cats do, like taking their food out of the dish and that sort of thing. I'm trying to find one of the sample questions to ask you in there. For example, one of the questions is, eating kibbles reduces stress. A, true. B, false. See, only until the bowl starts to get empty, then panic sets in. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a C, yeah. It, and it is based on each cat, though. It's funny because, uh, you know, these are, uh, you know, it's, they're very humorous, very uh, little tongue-in-cheek, as you had mentioned. But they're very true, too, because as we know, our, our cats uh, have individual personalities, even if they're from the yeah. same litter. And, uh, yeah, some of my cats, they could care less about, you know, they just want the food. They want to eat and get out and go play again. The other ones, you mm-hmm. know, are particular. And I've got one cat that won't eat anything until he has a few treats first, and then he'll eat his food. So <laughs> Yeah, my youngest cat, my tabby, her big thing is that for some reason she has decided once, one time in our lives, we get off at 4.30 in the morning and we fed her food once. Well, apparently okay. now that is feeding time. 4.30 uh, yeah. a.m is when we expect our food from that one moment on. So she just meows, 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 you know, until you get up, you know, and she races to the food dish and she's meowing at you the whole time. You're like, I'm coming, I'm coming. We're stumbling in the dark. We get the food out. We feed her. She eats like two kibbles and goes and lays down on the couch. (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Every morning. (laughs) Nice, nice, yeah. And they won't let you rest until you get up. I understand that. No, oh my gosh. They're lucky they are furry and cute. Yeah, that's right. Get away with everything. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break again, and then we're going to come back, talk a little bit more uh, with Dina Harris, and talk to her about her writing and writing uh, skills and what she's been doing there and uh, how she goes about doing it. So everybody hang tight. Come back after these commercial messages. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. 
With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to AudibleDeals.com. That's AudibleDeals.com. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Victoria Schaefer, aspiring actress, babysitter extraordinaire, college student, and animal enthusiast, is on her own for the first time in New York City. Follow Victoria and her two dogs, Rue and Echo, as she cares for her furry friends and juggles home life and career, all the while managing to survive in the world's most hectic city. The exciting animal adventures and secret stories from both ends of the leash that make up the tales of the city. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. We're here with uh, writer and author Dina Harris. Now, Dina, I want to talk to you about your the writing of the most recent book, which is uh, Does This mm-hmm. Color Make My Butt Look Big? A diet book for cats. How is this book, the writing of this book, different or uh, more uh, challenging than some of the others? Or do you have a nice set routine that, that seems to click for you when you're putting together a book? Believe it or not, just based on, you know, it's, again, obviously a, a humor title on it. There's a ton of research that goes into my books. And I have Barnes and Noble to thank for that. I kind of use them as my go-to research library. So when I, you know, I came up with the idea, I was like, okay, I want to do a parody of all the different health and diet books out there on the market. Not realizing, Tim, how many books are out there on the market. Yeah, I, I went to Barnes and Noble, you know, and loaded up with my coffee and sat there and probably pulled out, you know, 50 books to start with and then whittled it down to about 30 and then got it down to, you know, maybe it's the top 10 or 12 that I'm actually going to parody in there. But there is just an overwhelming amount of information on diet and exercise and, I mean, anything you want to do, you know, starve yourself to lose weight, eat more to lose weight, uh, lose weight in three days, exercise to lose weight, don't exercise to lose weight. You know, it's just, it's all over the board. So my process really is sitting down and reading everything I can get my hands on just so I completely understand the market that I'm trying to make fun of, you know, before I dive into it. So there is probably two to three months really of just reading and research. And I think people at, you know, Barnes & Noble thought I was a little diet obsessed every day. I'm there with like <laughs> this big, like 64 ouncing of coffee and 500 diet books in front of me, just reading, reading, reading. Well, <laughs> well I'm hoping the coffee of choice wasn't uh, like the uh, double frappuccino with extra chocolate and additional whipped cream. It wasn't. <laughs> I know. It was just plain coffee out there. Like, you know, this girl needs therapy. And which was funny because the book I did before this, which was Who Moved My Mouth, which mocked all the self-help books out there for people, you know, only 
from a cast perspective. I did the same research process with that. So I'd go to Barnes & Noble, and actually I went to my local library first and picked out like every self-help book they had off the shelf and sat there. And I'm sure these librarians were looking at me because I lived in a small town and they knew me. And they're like, oh, my Lord, Dina has some issues. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going on in her life. I wonder if it's marital problems. You know, there's uh, like <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's a very good Go point you bring up. I think uh, whether you're talking about writing a nonfiction or a fiction book, whether it's a you know a memoir, historical book, a, a humorous book, whatever it is, there is research. You know, you have to get your ducks in a row and make sure you know what you're talking about. There is. There's always research, and you know, anyone who knows writing knows you don't just sit down and start cracking yourself up and start writing this. But you know, writing humor is it's just like pulling veins or something. It it really is humor. It has to be pretty much a punchline at the end of every sentence or in every sentence. You know, you, my rule is really I won't do more than three sentences without some sort of payoff for the reader because you lose their attention. And so yeah. my process is I kind of just throw everything out on the page and write it as best I can. And then when I go back through the editing, I start reading and I'm like, okay, I took two whole paragraphs to build up to this joke. Well, that's not going to last. How can I cut that down, make that shorter, get to the joke faster for the reader? Yeah. So just like a, a comedian would, you know, someone doing a stand-up yeah, routine exactly. or whatever it be, you got you to keep those hooks coming constantly. That's exactly. Very good. It's, yeah, trying to juggle a lot of balls and, and trying to make sure, you know, just like in a novel, you have kind of character arcs and plots, you know, that this is obviously standalone. I joke all my friends keep my books in the bathroom. And every time I go to their house, it's quick reads. You, know, you can read a little chapter here, a little chapter there, and you're fine. You don't have to read it sequentially. But every time I go to their home, they're like, I'm so sorry your book is in the bathroom. Don't feel bad. I'm like, as long as you're reading it, I don't care. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You don't want it stuck on some back shelf somewhere or find it on, uh, you know, some uh, discount site where they've traded it in or Oh, where I live, we have what's called Edward McKay's used bookstore, and I went in there once, and this was with one of my earlier books, and I found a signed copy of one of my books <laughs> that someone had turned in. I was like, oh, nice to the heart. That hurt. <laughs> that's that's brutal, yeah. I think the only thing worse is, uh, we'll, we'll get off on <laughs> my pet peeves here, I think as a writer and author, uh, you know, the thing that bothers me the most is when you get these wonderful emails or wonderful, you know, people contact you and say, oh, I loved your book. I love it so mm-hmm. much that we've passed it down through the family. So every, all 20 people in the family have read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, Don't go buy a second copy. Yeah, don't worry about like, me. I don't, I don't need to eat. I'm good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, if my book was like a major impactful book, a self-help as we talked about, you know, something that, you know, could help your whole family. Great. But uh, yeah, if, yeah. It's, uh, if it's something else, then it's like, okay, can you please just buy one more copy and <laughs> pass it down the line? <laughs> but that's just, I could be wrong. I could be looking at it wrong. So now, yeah. Dina, tell me a little bit about where do you get your inspirations for the books you write, articles you write? I mean, I'm, you mentioned earlier about you and your agent doing a great banter back mm-hmm. and forth about what to write. But where do you get your inspiration? Do, do you just have a plethora of ideas or do you have to actually sit down and think, what does the market want? How does that come about? It's both, actually. I do keep it. As, it this is so creative of me. Uh, it's called an idea folder. You know, and so whenever I have an idea, you know, something just pops up. It might just be a one-liner. It might be a whole book theme, possibly. It, you know, if it just strikes my attention, I just jot it down and put it in there because I'll forget it if I don't write it down instantly. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm ready to work on a new project, whether it's a book or an article, a lot of times I'll just take that folder and dump it out on the floor and start sorting through it and just see if I see any themes that, okay, this could all run together or, you know, I could make something like that work. 
that's one way I do it. The other is talking to friends and family. I mean, it really is. I just People tell me things about their cats all the time since they know that I write about cats. I'm kind of lucky that people just bring me stories. And so that all that goes into the idea folder. So I've got different stories, true life things to, to draw on. Because most of my humor, honestly, is probably 98% truth with just that little 2% tweak, you know, to, to make it a little surreal and a little funny. But most of it's just based on what our animals and our pets and our cats actually do in lives. And then the other big thing is, I, you know, I have two cats and they're insane. So I just, I, you know, I watch them and I write what they do. <laughs> yes, great <laughs> so, um, Yeah, what I used to write a, years ago, I wrote a humor column for a cat magazine. And uh, my hands down, the most fan mail I've ever gotten for anything I've ever written in my life was this column called The Great Cat Butt Wiping Adventure. And it was just <laughs> one of my cats got so fat that, you know, she really couldn't reach behind and clean oh, herself. And so great. until she lost weight, you know, I brought her back from the vet and the that was like, you're going to have to clean this yourself. And going home and having to explain that to my husband. And he's like, nope, nope, I'm out. <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're not out. You're not out by a long shot. <laughs> There's going to be two of us doing this. So, you know, I mean, that, that's just real life. It would never occur to me to make that up. But you just pay attention when things happen. And that's most of my humor. I just pay attention and, and write stuff down that amuses me that I would send my, you know, my best friend or my mom or somebody to make her laugh. I just put that in a book or an article and do it that way. There you go. And that's the best kind. You know, people that they, yeah. they relate to it, they've been there, and, and often they thought, oh, my gosh, my cat. I thought my cat was the only one that did that. So you're now in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, the writing process in general, how is writing articles, writing for a magazine, writing for something online different, harder, whatever it may be, mm. than writing, sitting down and writing a book and putting it together? Most of my background is in article writing, so that's where my comfort level is. I won't say the book writing is that much harder. It's more intimidating. You know, there's, there's a difference between knowing you have to crank out a 25,000-word book versus an 800-word article. It just seems overwhelming. But when I write my books, I actually almost just treat it like articles. So I break it down in my mind into chunks. You know, like I just have to do, I don't have to write 25,000 words. I just have to write nine chapters, nine lives, nine chapters. You know, I don't even have to write nine chapters. I just have to write this one article about Jenny Craig that's going to go into the book. Yeah, and so if I can make it, for me mentally, if I break it down into manageable chunks, it's a lot easier. But it's kind of the same amount of research, you know, that, that goes into anything, whether it's an article or for the book. I still talk to people. I talk to experts. I get stories from everyday people. I read what's, reading what's already out there is a big thing. Number one, you can get inspiration. And number two, you want to make sure you're not copying it and that you're mm-hmm. saying something original. So that's a big thing for me, too. You're adding something new to the conversation, ideally, versus just putting out something like, I don't know, boy, cats sure love to climb, don't they? You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. That was one of mine, Dina. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was riveting, Tim. Riveting. Couldn't, couldn't tear myself away. <laughs> I'm glad I'm such an inspiration. <laughs> You know, you mentioned article writing. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, if you're writing, especially if you're writing a piece where it's a you know a, a specific piece, like you're trying to be serious about something, you know, uh, something that is health related, or you know, do this, do that for your cat, then you know the research is much different, and making sure that somebody else hasn't said it and you're not going to say it in the same way. I believe mm-hmm. at least it's totally different than finding your niche. You know, when you write your humor columns or my, you know, when I do lifestyle stuff, mm-hmm. sort of Jerry Seinfeld, does your cat do this? Does your whatever? maybe. I find that though I had to still be original, it's still me. It's my voice. And though somebody may have talked about why do cats like high places before, my spin on it may be a little bit different. Actually, I agree with that because I can easily find my voice when I'm doing a book. It tends to be, for lack of a better word, snarky. 
you know, kind of that sarcastic humor type thing. So I, I write snarky when I write my humor books. You can't always do that when you're writing for a magazine. You have to hit the tone of the magazine or the online publication. I'm in Greensboro, and there's a, a magazine right now, Theo Henry, that has asked me to have a whole dog issue coming out. And they said, hey, do you want to be the contrary voice and do a cat article for us? And I said, great, I do humor, I would love to. And they're sending me these ideas about, well, can we maybe do like a love story where a dog and a cat originally don't like each other and then they fall in love? And I'm just thinking, oh my God, no, no, we can't. <laughs> you know, like that's, <laughs> that's not my voice. And talking animals have been done so many times and you have to be really, really skilled to get away from it. But, you know, people think they know what they want sometimes, editors-wise, at different magazines. And some of it's about educating them about, that's a great idea, but have you often considered this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, exactly. you want to kind of nudge them and hopefully make it better, you know, help them make a better choice. Yeah. You know, I think that's a great point. I think as a writer in general, you have to, first of all, find out what makes you happy, figure out what you're knowledgeable about, what you're comfortable with, find your voice, and then try to pitch it, try to get someone else interested in it. Because I don't know if you find this or not, but a lot of times when I'm talking to editors, especially for articles, they kind of like me and they kind of like, you know, know I'm doing things out there. So they'd like to have me on uh, as part of their team, but they have mm -hmm. no clue what they want. They don't, you know, unless you're writing something identical as the next guy that they have on their staff or the next gal they have on their staff, they don't know. So you've got to have your solid pitch on here's me, here's what I write, and here's why you want it in your, uh, your publication. And I teach a magazine writing class, and one of the exercises that I take people through, I said, you know, it's really easy as a cat writer for me to go to pet publications and try to pitch something, but that's not unexpected. You know, I'm, I'm one voice among many there. I said, take whatever your hobby or interest is and go somewhere completely bizarre that it wouldn't fit. And, and the example that I give is somebody gave me a, I think it's called like RV magazine once. It's all about traveling around the nation in an RV. I've never set foot in an RV in my life. I know nothing about it. But I was like, huh, I bet people travel with their pets in these things. And so I pitched this whole article to the editor about basically how do you ramp up your RV so it's comfortable for your pet and you can travel with your pet and what you should be bringing and supplies. And they did a like eight page cover story on it because wow. it was different. And yeah, and you're pitching them something new and different. So, you know, if I tell people like, if you like to write about RVs, don't go to RV magazine, go to Accountant's World, you know, and figure out how you can put something there. You really want to go outside your, your niche area and give editors something that they don't even know that they're missing. To me, that's the best way to sell articles. I always challenge people in my class. I'm like, I need you to find three magazines that you have never even read in your life or heard of. Take your topic, figure out how you're going to do a pitch article to that editor. And, and it's amazing how many of them actually sell. It's kind of fun. Yeah, because they're looking for interesting angles, too. Uh, you know, they know everything in the world there is in this example about RVs, but uh, people travel with their cats, people travel with their dogs. Mm -hmm. So they may not know that aspect of it. So here you're coming in with your professional angle on what you would need to do, even though you're not a professional on RVs. So I think it's a very good point. Yeah, just for people who are interested in writing, that's one of my main things that I tell them. Don't be afraid to cliche, but really go outside the box when you're going to figure out what editors you're pitching and what magazines, whether it's online or a print publication. You can take any topic and make it fit into any magazine. I guarantee it. You just have to put the right spin on it. There you go. That sounds great. Great advice for the writers out there that are listening. It's uh, super yeah. advice, Dean. I appreciate that. So uh, tell me a little bit, of, as far as the book, You know, does this mm -hmm. color make my butt look big, a diet book for cats? After someone reads this book, what do you hope they walk away with? It sounds so cheesy, Tim, but honestly, like, I want people to smile. 
and laugh. The greatest emails I get are people emailing me saying, you know, oh my God, I picked your book up and I was just going to read a chapter before I went to bed and my husband actually kicked me out of the bedroom after an hour because I was laughing so hard as I read it. <laughs> yeah, that, I was like, you could not make my day any better than that. It's just, uh, I really just, it's a fun book. You know, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself here again. It's not the great literary work. You know, this is kind of a stocking stuffer, great gift book. You know, it's priced right to just, you know, give to a friend type thing. So I just want people to enjoy it and go buy 500 and give them out to their very best friends and family. There you go. There you go. Yes. Don't buy one and hand it to 500 friends and family. So that's perfect advice. All right, Dino, how can people find out more about you and what you've got going on and your books? What's the best place to hear from you? Obviously, you can always go to Amazon to get the books, but also if you just go to my website, which is dinaharris.com, D-E-N-A-H-A-R-R-I-S.com, and there's a page there that has all my many different cat books through the years that are on there, but there's also links that'll kind of give you background information on each of the books and uh, take you to some place where you can fund my retirement and buy them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so everybody pick up a copy of the book. Does this collar make my butt look big? A diet book for cats. Uh, pick up 500 copies, as Dina and I hope you do. You're going to be happy with it. It's fun stuff. Dina, congratulations on their successful book. And uh, we'll look forward to following your adventures and your humor uh, as we move forward. Thank you very much, Ken. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, my pleasure. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Thanks to our sponsors and producers for making this show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show and the stories in my blog, you can go to PetLifeRadio.com. That's PetLifeRadio.com. And while you're there, uh, be sure to check out all the other wonderful uh, guests and uh, interviews, everything we've got going on. There's just a plethora of information and fun stuff on Pet Life Radio. It's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions for me, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at tim at petliferadio.com, tim at petliferadio.com. And I'll answer your questions, uh, entertain your comments, and try to bring on the people you want to hear from most onto the show. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, an article, or in a book. And who knows, maybe the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.